Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. We spent a number of days in the Old Testament. We've spent a number of days in the Gospels. It's been actually quite a while since I've uh, taught on eschatology. And that's one thing I love about going through the Bible. You've got to cover it all. The good, bad, and the ugly, right? <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about judgment, but we sure do like to talk about Jesus coming again. Because when we're on the right side, it's joy. And this is what we have to look forward to. And so we, as we've made our way through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, you can see his heart for the people. He spent three weeks there and then moved on because of the persecution. But this church caught fire. Their, their, their born-again experience was sincere, genuine, and they were filled with the, the Holy Spirit. They were really on fire, and it never left. That ebb and flow of God's Spirit just washing and moving in, in and amongst the church there was powerful. And so powerful that they withstood the persecution that the Judaizers were bringing, and, and also how they bought and paid for the local authorities to help stir it up because they affected the economy in that area by leaving the idols. And Paul uh, shares his heart with them, and he, he praises the Lord for the work of grace in their lives, the, the faith, the hope, and the love that they'd expressed throughout that area. And as he breaks into this particular paragraph, he has just covered and exhorted them to remain pure. This is what we covered a couple weeks ago. The, the, it, it was a corrupt and crooked generation very similar to ours different technologies but they were the same type of people with fallen natures and there were sexual issues they thought fornication was one of those things that was sort of acceptable in the culture ring a bell i mean it's whatever you want to do is up to you you know truth is in the eye of the beholder type of thing and so he not so in the church you know we're to to control ourselves and so the whole idea of, of making oneself ready, being ready for the coming of the Lord. And apparently what had happened is that some of these believers uh, could have died under the hand of persecution. We don't really know uh, what happened to them. Obviously, there are people that come and go from this planet every day. And um, he has to, to address this issue of the Lord's coming because there's a little bit of confusion. And in three weeks of his being there and laying out so many doctrines, bringing Christ to the Old Testament to them, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, end times, he just, there's nothing too, too much for this young church. He just indoctrinated people. He was the apostle, and it was a work of grace with power. And so, uh, but there was a little bit of confusion in this area. Because he starts out in verse 13, and we'll cover through verse 18 tonight in saying this, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you have sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him 
those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul uses this language of verse 13 and other places. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, why would you use that phrase? <clears throat> well, it's because of the obvious. There was some ignorance there. There's ignorance today in the body of Christ when it comes to the second coming. And I, I would not say this in a condemning way because it's understandable. And as you, I proceed through this, uh, I think I'll be able to explain why uh, there's ignorance. But what he wants to clear up, no matter what position you may take on eschatology or your end times view, one thing that he doesn't want them to be ignorant of is that concerning brothers and sisters that have in the Lord that have died, that have gone on before us. And there's no need to sorrow. There's no need to be upset in regards to their position. They're, they're healed. They're in heaven they're glad they're there. They don't want to come back. <laughs> I remember, and for, you can take this for whatever it's worth. I know many of you remember who Keith Green was, but he was killed in the pl- plane crash in 1982. And there was a, a dear friend of his that uh, was on his way to, to, to uh, go to the site where the uh, crash had taken place, and he was praying that God would use him to raise Keith from the dead. And the Lord spoke to him. Keith doesn't want to come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we, we wonder about that. And I'm sure that they don't stop thinking about us. We're always going to remember our loved ones and who they were and all. Uh, but there's no need to sorrow for them. The sorrow that we feel is, is on this side and it's going to be because we're not going to see them anymore. We're not going to be able to talk to them in fellowship. We're no longer going to build memories with them. And that's, that's the sorrowful part. Not, not that they're going to miss out on something. Um, this idea of, of, as believers, we have hope. It's not wishful thinking. Well, I kind of hope it happens. It's kind of like hoping, well, I hope I'm saved. Well, if you are saved, you know that you're saved. Not because you've earned it, but because His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. There isn't this wishful thinking that goes on. And the same thing is with this here. This hope we have is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to be in the very presence of God. So people ask you, what do you think is going to happen when you die? Well, i got a good idea based on what the Bible says. I'm gonna. My heart's gonna stop beating. I'm gonna stop breathing, and this body's gonna be stiff in a short few hours after I de- I depart from it. And when I leave my body, there's gonna be an angel, hopefully at least one, 
that's going to escort me into the very presence of God. And after that, I have no idea. But I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm looking forward to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's the next chapter, verse 10. He, whether we wake or sleep, we're going to live together with him. That's the thing. No matter where I'm at, whether I'm still here in the body, or if I depart and go to be with him, I'm with him. He's always with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm just going to change locations. As it's often been said, you know, this is the tent. I'm going to put off the tent. I'm going to move into the house. Uh, It'll be a great day. So there's this ignorance concerning the deceased brothers and believers in Christ. And then there was uh, maybe ignorance about, uh, again, the simplicity of the gospel. It doesn't seem like you would have to repeat this in the church, but some people have attended church for years and never really understood what it means to be born again. And I find that just like unbelievable what are you what is that pastor talking about if his people that he's ministering to don't understand what it takes to become born again i mean paul just lays it out there he'd already told this if we believe that jesus died and rose again do we believe that jesus died for our sins and he rose again from the dead i mean it's just that simple he died he shed his blood to provide atonement for our sins. And that is the only way that our guilt can be removed through the atoning blood of Christ. And if I believe that and embrace that, my spirit will be made alive. I will be born again. I will now have a a spirit that is alive that can make contact with God because that's how we make contact with God. It isn't through our mind alone. You know that. As you have been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that when you commune with the Lord, it's just not mentally. There's something else going on in here. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than the mind because it's your spirit. And that spirit communicates with God and communicates to your soul. And there's that witness that's indescribable. This happens because you believe in the work of Jesus Christ. True belief. His resurrection validates his ministry. If Jesus Christ does not raise from the dead, then everything that he said and the miracles that he supposedly worked were all in vain. But indeed, we know that Christ did raise from the dead. And so therefore, everything that he said is true. And everything that was written of him in the Old Testament predicting what he would do as Messiah is also true. And so if we have those two things that are true, that means everything that is yet future for what is spoken by Christ is also true, and it's going to happen. Essentially, what I want to say in that is is John chapter 14, verse 3. This is the hope we have. If If I go to prepare a place for you, those of you who believe that Jesus died and rose again, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is coming for you. For you, for you, 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 everyone in this room and beyond. Those who love him. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. That ought to put a smile on your face.
I think the older you get, the bigger you more, the more you ought to smile. I mean, the bigger that smile ought to become, right? Second Thessalonians two one refers to this meeting here that Paul describes as as our gathering together unto Him. I think I like that. I like it. You know, Sunday mornings, midweek, we gather together. It's, we're all going to gather together as the family of God. What a joyous occasion that will be. And I think part of the ignorance here was that they believed in the imminent return of Christ. Now, there are those who, in the church, and true brothers and sisters, they don't believe that the doctrine of imminency is that uh, important or that that's really sort of made up by the pre-tribbers. And we'll get into this in a little bit here. But we know that the early church and the apostles in particular, the leaders of the early church, believed in the imminent return of Christ. Otherwise, why would it be said in the... Oh, this just turned there because you need to have this in your, in your spiritual vocabulary. John 20. Peter is being restored to ministry after his denial. And he sort of gets put on the spot and and then repents. And then he said, well, what about John? And this is well, actually John 21. And let's drop down. I'm going to skip mo- over most of it towards the end there. Verse 20, Peter turning around saw his disciple whom Jesus loved following him, who had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is this one who betrays you? And Peter seeing said to him, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Then this thing went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die. But if I will that he should remain till I come, what is that to you? So the inference there is that they understood and they believed that Jesus was going to come back and restore the kingdom and and set up his reign in in the very near future. And every generation has, has believed that since then. And I, I have no argument with that. And I, I don't understand why that's... I mean, we're exhorted over and over in the Scriptures to watch and pray. Watch and pray. So the discrepancy here in the minds of some of these people was what, oh, bummer, George died... And now he's not going to, when Jesus comes back, because we believe he's going to be here soon, he's not going to be part of the kingdom because he died. What a bummer. All our friends are dying and Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so that was what I think Paul was hinting at and trying to clear up is that there's, there's nothing to worry about here. Those who died and have gone on to be with the Lord prior to us are not going to miss out on anything that God has for them. Their, their positions 
of what God has ordained for them and the positions that God has ordained for us to serve in the millennial reign, his reign as Messiah on this earth, hasn't, will not change. He's, they remain the same. In fact is, as we've read here, the dead in Christ actually have first priority. The, the people who get raptured get the assignments afterwards. So, I mean, they have, I guess there's, I don't know if that's an advantage or not, but it would seem to be that it would be the dead in Christ would have more of an advantage than those raptured, if you want to parse that out that tightly. But the big thing here is concerning the order of his coming. And this is, herein lies the confusion and sometimes ignorance uh, in the church even to this day. Because the Bible doesn't just lay it out in this exact, explicit timeline that this is going to happen at this time and then this and then this. And we have a general order and that's as about as close as we can get. Just as Jesus described there as we went through this a few weeks ago on Sunday morning in Matthew 24, he he describes the general events that would take place between the two comings. And he was very explicit, and they have all happened, and they are still happening. Uh, So it's sort of like what we have, and I'll kind of go through that order. But there are essentially um, three things that all Christians believe, and this is what we really should focus on. And what the discrepancy is over is the timing of some of these events, and to some degree, in, in the order of the events. Um, I, I don't think it's wise to divide over these things. There are really smart people, and I mean that in a good way. They, they know the language. They know the, 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 the Greek. They know the Hebrew. They are Bible scholars on both sides and have difference of opinion on how this whole thing is going to roll out. So we need grace. It's not going to affect your salvation. It can affect your daily living. And that's why I believe when you read through the scriptures, the the natural flow is the pre-tribulation rapture approach, which I stick to and have followed. But it's kind of funny. I haven't really dug into it and reviewed it in, in quite some time because we've been other places in the scripture. But just going over it again and just, you know, re, revisiting it and it's just like, oh yeah, it makes the most sense to me. And and I could be wrong. I, I mean, I'm not going to be dogmatic because I don't think the scriptures are dogmatic. But I, I'm, this is my camp and this is the choice that I'm making. And it, and I I love Jesus just as much as the other guy who takes the other view, and he's free to take that view, and that's and we shouldn't divide over that kind of thing. So the three events that all Christians agree on are I'll give them to you right out of the gate here. Now, one that there's going to be a future time of tribulation. I mean, such as the world has never seen before. Most all born again Christians believe that. Number two, that Jesus Christ is going to come back the second time at the end of that tribulation period. Almost everyone in the church believes that, true born again. And everybody pretty much believes in a rapture. There are those in the post-trib realm that see the second coming and the rapture as speaking of the same event. And um, and I can understand why they get there. I just don't really agree with how they got there. 
And here's the, here's the rub that all of us, no matter what camp we're in, we have to try our best not to take our preconceived, premillennial view and impose it upon the text. Just, and I tell you what, not having studied it for months, actually visiting it for a couple of years, really just calling, I don't even know that, right? Attitude. And then coming back and just like, okay, just reading it freely. Like, man, I'm just more, I'm as convinced now as I've ever been. But whatever that's worth, right? So because we don't know when the rapture will take place, that is the issue. That is the crux of of the disagreement of, among Christians about uh, eschatology. And the three theories are, as I mentioned, the pre-trib, pre-tribulation uh, approach, thinking that you know, Jesus, uh, the rapture, is going to happen before the great tribulation takes place. And then the mid-trib is that the rapture occurs halfway through the tribulation period. That'd be like chapters 4 through uh, 19 or 18, however you want to parse that out there. So I, I, I like it around chapter 11, that's when the rapture would take place because they don't believe that the church is going to go th- uh, suffer through God's wrath, which is this latter half of the tribulation period. So there's pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib which again, they identify the rapture and the second coming as being one and the same or happening very close at the same time. So somehow Jesus is coming in the air and then the church is raptured up and then somehow we come right back with him when he sets his foot back on the Mount of Olives. You know, I think there's a spiritual um, alcohol seltzer that you can take for your upset stomach for going up and down real quick. I'm not sure. It just, wait. You know, so my question to you is, where's the marriage supper of the Lamb if that's the case? And there are some other issues with that uh, that, that just doesn't, doesn't seem to... Um, but it just seems like if Paul's calling this throughout the, the Scriptures, Second um, Timothy 2.13, uh, the blessed hope, what's the blessed hope in thinking that I'm going to go through the wrath of God as a believer? When Thessalonians clearly states here in this epistle, God has not appointed us under wrath. Well, he's not talking about uh, that kind of wrath. He's talking about eternal damnation and the wrath that's experienced for unbelievers in hell. Well, I don't really think that's what he's talking about because it's in the context of his coming. So, you know, let's just read through these the events here as we look at the the coming of the Lord here. One, the Lord himself will descend in from heaven to the clouds. Isn't that what it says? We will meet the Lord in the air. So you you combine verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Verse 17, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, 
That's the location. That's a physical location in my mind. It, number two, it is with a shout. I can tell you, if God shouts, everybody's going to be listening. And we're going to hear the voice from heaven. And it's going to shake the universe <laughs> with a shout. That'll put the fear of God in you, <laughs> right? If you don't have it. I don't know if unbelievers will hear this, but I'm pretty sure we're going to hear it. It's kind of like, get up here. You know, boom. <laughs> Third, with the voice of, of an archangel. Fourth, with the trumpet of God. Now, here's in, there are those here in the mid-tribbers They'll take this trumpet of God and say that this is the trumpet in chapter 11 of Revelation. Well, that's the trumpet of an angel bringing forth wrath. This is the trumpet of God bringing forth deliverance and rescue of this church. Bringing the church to himself. It isn't the trumpet of an angel. It is the trumpet of God. Number five, the dead in Christ will rise first. Number six, the remaining believers who are alive will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is coupled with 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 55, which I will simply read. And now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. <clears throat> did, I say, did I say the word trumpet here? Just saying. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put, must put on immortality. So when the, this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two through 55. Seventh thing that we can all take great comfort in is that we shall always be with the Lord. It's over. Our labors are done. Our, our trampling through this wilderness and this cursed earth with a fallen nature, it's, our fight is over. We are forever in His presence. Now, I don't know about you, but that coming event ought to just put a joy in your heart. It ought to put a hope and give you, take you from this horizontal plane to get vertical like, Hallelujah, Jesus, come quickly. And you're going to get Pentecostal all of a sudden, right? I mean, this is just wonderful. I mean, this is comfort. This is comfort for those who, when you think about the loved ones that have passed, but it's comfort to know that our fight is so short and so temporal. We are here, what is 50, 60, 80, or even 100 years on this planet compared to eternity with, with God? It's that kind of perspective that will keep us putting one foot in front of the other as long as we need to. Comfort. 
when we lose someone, and he's in the context here, worried about those that have already fallen asleep. You know, when when people when we had this in our church, we we're all acquainted with it in our own families. Those of us who are older have lost a number of people already, friends. You know, and I think that's one thing our culture doesn't have right, not even close. The Jews would mourn for 30 days. And we, we usually, generally speaking, it's three or four days, and then we have the funeral, and then people go back to work, and then the family's left, you know, to themselves, which is very difficult. But I think 30 days is a good length of time. You can only, you know, your, dry, your tears glands have worn out by that time. Uh, they'll never wear out, but you can only cry so much and express grieving so long. And then you realize, you know, you just, I've got to move on. We're, we're an altered people by those events. We're a changed people, but it's not hopelessness or, or forever heartache. And I uh, think of, I always when I think about that period of time, I always think about when Moses died. I mean, could you imagine having a leader like Moses for 40 years as a little kid? You know, because that generation all died off that was his contemporaries, Moses' contemporaries, all but Joshua and Caleb. But the younger kids under 20 that had grown up and just watched the hand of God move through the camp and Unbelievable, just incredible work of God providing for them. And obviously, Joshua is the guy to take over, and, and Moses is gone, and God speaks to him in chapter 1, verse 2. Look, Moses is dead. He's gone. It's over. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and his people, to the land which I'm giving you. You've mourned long enough. It's time to move forward. That's, that's the grip of conviction that must take over after a certain period of time. And yeah, we'll have those moments well after 30 days, and that's fine. We have to look to the future. Uh, we have a great hope and a bright, eternal future waiting for us on the other side. I want to backtrack just a little bit and kind of, again, since this tribulation period is coming just to, to lay it out because Jesus spoke of it there in Matthew 24. The great tribulation is described in detail in the book of Revelation 6 through 19, as I said earlier. It, this tribulation period is caused by Satan initially, the beast, we know, the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, Revelation 13, 1 John 2:18. 2 Thessalonians 2 3. He's the little horn in Daniel 7, verse 8. Will, the Great Tribulation will be concluded by the Battle of Armageddon and the revealing of Jesus Christ as King of Kings. The Apocalypse, the Revelation. Jesus will be revealed. Now, I had said earlier, while well, following the Great Tribulation will be the millennial reign of Christ, then we'll have the final judgment the great white throne, where all the dead outside of faith, everyone from Adam all the way through the millennial that refused the, the grace of God, 
they never were forgiven, or they never received the gift of salvation, those are the people that are going to be at the great white throne judgment. No saved person will be at the great white throne judgment. Only the lost. And they will be judged by their works. And their damnation will follow. They'll be cast into the lake of fire uh, along with the Antichrist who's already there. He was thrown in at, when, at the return of Christ along with the false prophet. And during that thousand year reign of Christ, Satan will be bound. And then at the end of that thousand years, he'll be loose for a short time and then he'll eventually be thrown into the pit and burned forever as well. So that's, that's, those are the the generally flow of the future events from this point forward in time. Now, if the Bible is to be taken in a natural sense, as I said earlier, I think you'll come to this conclusion. I'm not a Bible scholar. I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years, and I love the Word of God, and I pray for wisdom, and I pray for understanding, but I'm not a scholar. And I can just read it in English, and this is what I get. Now, I do know a little Greek, and I do study. Use the study helps uh, for those kinds of things. But just the natural reading, just like you would read. If you read this portion of Scripture, now, okay, just let me read it one more time, and then we're going to go to Revelation 19. And let me see how, just see how it rests on your spirit. For verse 15... For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So this isn't Paul. This is Jesus talking through Paul. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're talking about the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now turn with me to 19. Revelation 19. There's a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation. Salvation. These are not angels. I don't think these are They're already saved. These people are proclaiming salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, has avenged her blood upon his servants shed by her. And again, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, probably the divine council there, and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God. All you his servants, those who fear him, both small and great. Now there's, I think that's the church. Who's proclaiming all this? I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters. Saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Verse 8, to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Saints, okay. 
And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. See that you do not do that. I'm a fellow servant. So this is, this is what I see, is that the Lord comes in the air, catches the bride away. And all this, by the way, follows the Jewish order of, of marriage, which we're not going to get into but that's all part of it. He is betrothed. He goes away for a while. He comes back unexpectedly, takes his bride, and then they have the celebration. And so this is sort of what we're having in heaven is he's received his bride in the air, taken her back to heaven. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb taking place. I don't know if this is a bit of a stretch or not, but taking place while the hell on earth. Satan is pouring out his wrath upon the earth. And then God judges the earth. For those who destroy the earth, those who persecute his people, those who hate God and blaspheme his name, though that's the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth while I think this is taking place. Because at the end of the judgment, we have verse 11. And now heaven is opened, and behold a white horse and he who sat on him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Where did he get those crowns, by the way? He got the crowns from the people that were rewarded for their faithfulness, who took their crowns off their head and threw them at the feet of the Lord in heaven. Where do you have all this take place if the rapture is at the end of the tribulation? I find it hard to fit it all in there. Just saying. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knew except himself. And his was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white, clean, followed him on white horses. Now who has clean, why would they be white linen, and why would they be clean? Because we've been cleansed and clothed by the blood of Christ. We are the bride returning with our Lord, our King. That's how I see it. The armors of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. That's judgment. Right there. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. That doesn't look like the rapture to me. That looks like the second coming. And he's coming with the armies of heaven. Now Jude does talk about the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And those very well will be, will be angels. I see angels coming. You know, you got an angel standing in the sun. Angels are very much part of the judgment. They're the instruments that God uses to bring and expose or to bring the wrath of his wrath upon the earth. And so they're involved in that. So they, they can be members of that armies coming out of heaven as well as the church. I don't see any problem with that. Like I said, just the natural flow. I didn't twist the scriptures. I'm just, I read that portion of scripture and I read this. And it looks like there's an order there, a flow. The marriage supper and then the return. And this is where I always throw this out at the post-tribbers. And they call, there are those who are just, if you don't believe like they believe, then you're a heretic. 
That's harsh. What is heresy? Heresy is taking truth to an extreme. So if someone doesn't believe like you believe, then that makes them a heretic? I mean, come on. Where's, thank you for grace. Apparently you haven't experienced it, so you can't extend it. I mean, you know, I just really, that chaps me. I mean, I just think it's so wrong to get all, you know, jerked out of shape because someone doesn't believe exactly like you believe. That's how I believe. And you see how I got there. If you choose to be, believe differently and follow differently, that's fine. We got, I got no beef with that. You're free to be wrong. <laughs> that's rude, wasn't it? <laughs> that's what we always say, right? That's what pastors always say. No, I just, you can see how I got there. And I think just the natural flow of that makes a lot of sense. So if all we're arguing about in the church about is the is the when not the what we're pretty sure that there's going to be a rapture there's going to be a tribulation period and there is going to be a second coming all we're really arguing about is when they in the order and is it really worth you know breaking fellowship over i i think not 